immediately or quickly. So this won't take too long. Starting in verse 21, they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out. And they were all amazed, so they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let's go on to the next town, so that I may preach there also, for that's why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. And he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him. From every quarter. All right, let's pray together real quickly. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word. Uh, we realize that uh, for some of us, this uh, word is sharp and alive, and for others, it's just a bunch of old, dusty words in a book. Lord Jesus, uh, show us yourself in these pages. Holy Spirit, be gracious to press these truths into reality in our hearts. We ask these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, Josiah Harlan was a 19th century merchant. He's actually from uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, after beating around on boats throughout the, uh, all over the world actually, uh, he finally came up with a different career path uh, besides being a sea merchant. And uh, he decided what he really wanted to do was be a king. And uh, actually, Josiah Harlan uh, had a unique gift set of skills and uh, abilities. He uh, passed the medical board uh, with no formal medical training, just by self-education and guile. And he had almost all the assets you would need to become a king, except for uh, you know, hereditary, uh, he, he wasn't a king. And he had no right or uh, ability to do so. But he found himself uh, gravitating toward the um, wilder parts of the ancient world, in particular central and uh, western Afghanistan. And... Uh, he actually uh, met a local ruler who was so impressed by Harlan's leadership ability that they made a deal together. 
uh, the local ruler said, basically, if you will raise and train an army for me and solidify the power of this region, which was called Gore, G-H-O-R, um, not only you, but your heirs for eternity will be princes of this region. He was declared to be a king, in effect. However, history intervened, and uh, there was a war, and then there was another war, and uh, Harlan was never able to go back and uh, assume his kingship in, in the land of Gore. In fact, he ended up dying, relatively unknown, forgotten as a doctor in San Francisco. And um, yes, yeah, the case that the, the, the promise still remains that uh, there is a prince of Gore today. The great, great, great grandson of Josiah Harlan is Scott Reniger. He is the current prince of Gore. Uh, of course, there really is no Gore, so there's no prince of Gore. And Mr. Scott Reniger is better known today for being uh, a star in the 1970 horror film Dawn of the Dead. Uh, and Harlan's story is the basis of Rudyard Kipling's little short story, The Man Who Would Be King. In our text, in the text before this that we let, read last week, Jesus claimed to be a king. His first words were, The kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. And the implication was, The kingdom is at hand because the king is here. I am the king, therefore the kingdom's here. What kind of kingdom? What kind of king are we talking about? Uh, how do we know? Are you a king only in title, like the Prince of Gore? Uh, are you a poor king, lacking any power, policy, ability? Um, was there a lasting significance to this kingdom? Where, where, where is this kingdom? Where's the, uh, where are the castles and the walls? How do we know? And how are we supposed to know what to think about this kingdom that Jesus is bringing? Um, because we think lots of different things about Jesus. Jesus, for some of us, was just a good moral teacher. For others, he's the, uh, the person that died for our sins. But what do we think about him being a king? King of what? How do we think about his kingdom? And it's important because Jesus' first words when he began his ministry were, the kingdom of God is here. He's claiming to be a king. It was crucial to Jesus that we understand that what he was doing was bringing a kingdom. But how do we understand it? Uh, and this is important to us. And we're going to see today that because Jesus is a great king, we should embrace his kingdom as the world's best hope. Because Jesus is a great king, we should embrace his kingdom as this world's best hope. Now, I'm going to do a couple of strange things today. Sorry. So if you're brand new, this is not normal. Uh, I've just introduced the text, and I'm going to do some other introductions real quick. We're, we're going to move through our text by talking about three characteristics. This is very introductory. These are, if you would, Jesus has given his inauguration speech, the kingdom's at hand. And now he's got his hundred days. That's the way it works in the United States. You get a hundred days to call your cabinet, establish your policy, and set the course. Well, Jesus, we're going to see his hundred days, if you will. We're going to see what the kingdom's all about and if he can gain traction. Um, and we're going to see a couple of features leap out. And this is just introductory because Jesus, throughout the Gospel of Mark, is bringing the kingdom. The picture of the kingdom will be fleshed out further as we go along. But there are some key features early on. Uh, rare authority, a relational concern, and uh, the project is restoration. Jesus has come to restore things. And uh, that's not weird. I always alliterate, which is weird. But uh, that's not what's weird. What's weird is I'm going to introduce each one of these major themes uh, by way of a song, by the same singer-songwriter. That's weird. And um, also what we're going to do in our text is a little weird. Is uh, There's a lot of things going on in Mark. And as you noticed, everything happens immediately. Uh, and you'll actually see that more as we go. It moves very quickly. 
And I can't talk about all 24 verses. So what we're going to do is we're going to uh, zoom in, if you will, and take sort of a microscopic level. We're going to enter into one story and sort of poke around. And we're going to do that with the story of the cleansing or the healing of the leper. We're going to get inside that story and, and uh, get familiar with it. That's the micro look. And then we're going to zoom back out and look at the rest of the text just briefly. We're going to do the 30,000-foot flyover macro look at some of these themes as well. So, I've told you. Now we're going to do it, and hopefully you won't be confused. All right. Well, um, the first thing we see is Jesus' rare authority. And uh, the singer-songwriter is Josh Ritter. If you're not familiar with him, he's a, I think he's a brilliant singer-songwriter. Uh, he's one of my favorites. In spite of uh, some of the uh, theological bent of, of the lyrics, you'll see that Josh Ritter is not exactly on board with my understanding of Jesus' kingdom. Uh, but he's honest about what he thinks and feels. And he's, he's, he's brilliant. So from his song, Girl in the War, uh, it's actually an imaginary Peter talking to Paul about having a daughter in the war, or something like that. And uh, the, the song reads, Because the keys to the kingdom got lost inside the kingdom, and the angels fly around in there, but we can't see them. I got a girl in the war, Paul. I know they can hear me yell, but if they can't find a way to help her, they can go to hell. Uh, what he's saying is, if there's a real kingdom, I don't see any evidence of it. Because Jesus promised that uh, you know, he'd hand the keys of the kingdom over, and that God's kingdom would be at work. And it seems, for all I can see, that if there is a kingdom, the keys got locked inside. And that there is no power at work. God is impotent. There is nothing going on. There is no great power at work. Well, is, is that the case? Is God impotent, or is God on the move? Is he at work in our world? And uh, what we're going to see in our text is that uh, Jesus is a, uh, a king of rare authority. Zooming in to this account with the leper, uh, we meet all This is a strange thing. All kinds of strange things happen here. First, a leper comes to him, imploring and kneeling and saying, If you will, you can make me clean. Almost everything there is strange. In the first century, a leper simply wouldn't approach anybody. In fact, they were forbidden to do so in first century Palestine. A leper was religiously unclean and uh, dangerous to the health of the community. And they were forced, and they basically abided by the rules, that whenever they were near people, they had to start yelling at some great distance away. Unclean. Unclean. To let everyone know that they shouldn't get any closer to them. These were the most alienated, ostracized, distant people that you can imagine. Uh, and here, this leper... and. We don't assume he was a bad leper that didn't obey the rules. There's something different about Jesus that he feels comfortable approaching. He comes to Jesus and implores him. So uh, it, it's a rare encounter. And then we see a, a rare faith that this leper has. Uh, the leper doesn't ask to be healed. Well, he sort of does. That word imploring means he's vehemently, over and over, doing it, kneeling. He's, he's in a sort of a strange way, demanding it. At the same time, though, he doesn't request he just simply states the fact. If you will, you can make me clean. There's nothing else like this in Scripture. Uh, or a man of such a really extraordinary faith says, you know, I think you can make me well. Or could you heal me? He simply says, I know that you can. Will you? It's a remarkable statement of rare faith. It's a statement of fact. And then we have a rare feat where Jesus, in verse 41, moved with pity, stretches out his hand and touches him and says to him, I will be clean. Now, uh, we'll talk about the touching. It's, it's certainly very important. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, but 
Jesus basically says, I, I will be clean, and it's done. Uh, Jesus has extraordinary authority to say things, and they happen. Uh, this isn't the first cleansing of a leper in Scripture. Uh, and the other one, the guy had to go like jump in a river and bathe. And Typically in, ancient, in the ancient world when there were healings, there was conjuring, or at least you know, if it was a prophet of God, he would pray to God or do something. And Jesus simply says, yeah, you're right, I can. I will, you're clean. Direct power and authority. Rare authority exercised by Jesus. We don't really know what to think about authority. I have a uh, nine-year-old niece. She's very precocious and a little silly sometimes. And uh, my sister was telling me about this incident where they were taking a long road trip. And uh, we're from the state of Virginia where cops are very good at their jobs. I've been given a lot of tickets in my life. And they're almost all in the state of Virginia. And I've only lived there half my life. Go back for a visit, get a ticket. Anyway, um, so everyone there is on the, on the lookout. And uh, they went down a road and noticed a cop sitting on the side. And, of course, my sister began to freak out. Oh, no, the cops, they got me. And so they were on pins and needles. And Kaylee was sitting in the back seat, my niece. She's like, oh, no, the cops. And then she, like, disappears. Well, the cop doesn't pull out and chase them. And my sister and my mom who were traveling forgot all about it. And they simply assumed after 30 minutes that Kelly had fallen asleep. After 30 minutes, Kelly picks her head up and says, are they gone? Whew, that was close. Like, who do, you, who do you think these people are? Like, her, her, her understanding of authority was such that she thought she had to hide from them for half an hour, that they would track her down and chase her. Um, and uh, maybe that's what you think about cops, too. Um, we, we have an uneasy relationship with authority. And so I have to ask this question. Does the idea that Jesus has great authority, remarkable authority, uh, does it disturb you or does it comfort you? It's not just in this text. In the other texts, back at the first text, this is sort of the macro level, uh, we see that Jesus teaches with authority. He teaches in verse 22, uh, unlike anyone else, when he teaches, the word comes alive. There's some new content probably, and even the old dead, dusty things seem to come alive and cut people to life. His authority uh, over evil, over the evil spirits in 27. I wish I could talk about this more. We will talk about this. Uh, some of you are thinking, you want me to believe in a book that talks about demons. And uh, I'll simply say, as an introduction to the matter of the existence of evil, uh, what one of my favorite authors, Walker Percy, has said about it. Either the world's gone mad or I'm a madman. There's something wrong with this world or there's something wrong with me. And I agree with that. If you don't notice there's something wrong with the world, there's something wrong with you. There has to be a good, plausible explanation for what's wrong with this world. So uh, Jesus has authority when he teaches. He has authority over evil spirits. They obey him. Uh, he has authority over bodies. He heals people. And uh, Jesus is great in authority. Does that comfort you or does that disturb you? Uh, secondly, uh, Jesus is concerned with relationships. He's concerned with relationships. From Josh Ritter's um, song, Thin blue flame. If God's up there, he's in a cold, dark room. The heavenly host is just a cold, dark ruse. He bent down and made the world in seven days ever since he's been walking away. Uh, Josh Ritter's version of God in this song is a God that creates us, but then really wants nothing to do with us. It's what we call a deistic view of God. He starts the world in motion and then abandons it because he's not really interested in us, doesn't desire a relationship with us. So it's possible to have a powerful God that simply doesn't care. 
that doesn't draw close, that isn't, if you would say, isn't good. Well, uh, we see in our text that uh, Jesus is unlike this. He's a king, not like this at all. And in some ways, in verse 41, we have uh, the best explanation of the kind of God that we serve and the nature of the gospel. If you would, verse 41 is the gospel, the kingdom, in miniature. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. Um, It's evident to me that, uh, and you may disagree, but the words would have sufficed. If he has the power to do this, he could have just said it, and it would have been done. And instead, Jesus uh, moved with pity or compassion, and that word is actually a very messy, emotional word, splachnizomai. And it's the only Greek word you'll ever hear me say, even though I know other Greek words, because it even sounds messy. And uh, it's this deep, guttural, emotional response. Uh, Jesus moved with compassion, stretches out his hand, and touches him. Some of you have heard of this, and some of you haven't. Uh, the way this was supposed to work, according to um, the Hebrews in the Old Testament, was if someone was unclean, like a leper, you contracted not only their illness, but their uncleanliness and their sin, their dirtiness, their distance from God. That's the way it was supposed to work. Bad things made good things bad. That's the way it almost always worked. That's not the way it works here. Uh, Jesus, if this guy's a real leper, he's also risking uh, physical illness. Uh, Jesus is exceptionally different. Uh, he, he risks his health, he, but he also risks scandal. Uh, one, because of his remarkable authority. It works backwards for him. Everything that he touches, he sanctifies. He purifies. He heals. He cleanses. He knows that. But he didn't have to touch him. Jesus might have been the first person to touch this man in 15, 20 years. We don't know how long this man had been a leper. But he had touched no one during that time. Unless it was other people with leprosy. He hadn't touched his family. He hadn't touched his friends. He had been an outcast in society. And Jesus communicates his healing love to him in the most intimate manner he possibly could to a leper. He touched him. Jesus has great compassion. And uh, we can see Jesus cares about relationships, not just because he touches the man, but because of what he does then. Uh, Jesus, you know, he just started this ministry, like, an hour ago. We don't know how the time went. It wasn't that long. Um, And here, you know, weeks in, days in, he miraculously heals a leper. And he could have easily attached this guy to his entourage. It would have been like a traveling circus. We've got lepers and demon-healed people, and I'm the Messiah. Come look at me and these folks and give your testimony. He could have easily done that. Instead, he says, go to the temple and show themselves. Show yourself as a testimony. He did that for lots of reasons. But one of the the reasons he did that was it was the approved means of restoring this guy to his community. It was the way in which someone like him came back into a social world and said, God's been good to me, I'm healed, I'm restored. And he's reintroduced for the first time since he contracted this illness to everything. Family, friends, wife, all of them were distant and alienated. He is restored to every aspect of his community. This is what Jesus does. This is what's normal, us in relationships. And Jesus comes to restore us in our relationships. Um, we also see this... Uh, with Jesus himself, the relationship is important. Back in verse 35. Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Uh, Jesus has just spent the previous night healing and ministering to lots and lots of folks. Uh, and then he suddenly disappears. 
and actually the, the account's pretty funny. Peter goes looking for him and says, hey, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus is like, oh, good, let's leave then. Uh, we'll go somewhere else. Uh, we'll talk about this again at some other point. But what's really interesting is why Jesus goes out, not to flee, but to pray. He's a man with great authority, and yet he's dependent. And he's desirous of maintaining a relationship with his father. We could talk about this a long time, but if Jesus is who he says he is, what is there really to talk about? Uh, you're, you're a God. You're, don't you know what God's will is? Uh, don't you have the ability to do everything you want to do? Um, but that's not the picture, the full picture of what we get when we talk about Jesus. He's also a man. He's human. He's, uh, he's also weak. He is dependent. And uh, he loves his Father and wants to be with him. And so we have a picture here of, of Jesus in relationship with his Father. And this is a reminder for us, this is an old sermon going back a couple of years ago, you could find it, that all of reality is relational. We'll talk about that in a moment again. Um, but at the, at the very crux, the very start of the universe, the very heart of the universe is a relational dynamic of love between Father, Son, and Spirit. And what Jesus comes to do is to restore all the broken relationships in the world. Broken bodies, broken hearts, broken spirits, broken lives and relationships. Jesus is coming to restore all these things. So, uh, second question. Does the idea that Jesus, who is great in authority, great enough to to heal a man with a word, great enough to uh, overthrow his enemies with a word, uh, does the idea that he cares about you and your relationships, does that disturb you or does that comfort you? Does the idea that Jesus may care about your relationships more than you care about your relationships, is that a comfort to you or does that unnerve you? Because he actually does care about your relationships more than you do. <laughs> Sorry. But it's true. Uh, the third thing, the third feature is uh, restoration. Jesus comes with great authority, rare power. He comes uh, concerned about relationships. And he comes in a very compassionate, relational manner. But he also comes in order to restore. And to restore what? Uh, this is from Mr. Ritter's most recent album, which was excellent. Unless you get the idea that from all these lyrics that he's some sad, dour, mean old man. Actually, he's not. So I would uh, highly recommend his music. Uh, This is from the song Lantern. Uh, Where the living is desperate, precarious, and mean. He's just talking about reality here. Getting by is so hard that even the rocks are picked clean, and the bones of small contention are the only food that the hungry find. Where the thistles eat the thorns and the roses have no chance, it's no wonder that the babies come out crying in advance. And the children look for shelter in the hollow of some lonesome cheek. The sky is so cold and clear, the stars might stick you where you stand. You're only glad it's dark, because you might see the master's hand. You might cast, cast around forever and never find the peace you seek. Uh, what he's saying here is, uh, you take a good, honest look at the world, and it's a desperate mess. It's hard. There's hunger. There's sadness. There's suffering. There's brokenness. And if you're willing to ask the, the hard question... Is God active? Is he at work? You, you might look around forever and not, never find the peace you seek. Uh, Josh Ritter is willing to ask the hard questions. I just disagree with his answer. Um, but I, I like his picture of reality. The world is a mess. And again, I contend that uh, either the world's gone mad or we're madmen. There's something wrong with the world. Um, scripture's answer to this is the fall. That God didn't make the world this way. That God made the world uh, to relate and function well. 
But uh, at the heart of human history, after God created things well, is man's decision to live autonomously and uh, to turn his back on God and quickly everything else fractured. It was the Humpty Dumpty effect. He fell and the fractures were irreparable. And they shoot through all of our reality. We are not the persons we know we're supposed to be. We know that. We don't keep our word to others. We don't keep our word to ourselves. We know we're not the persons we're supposed to be to ourselves, to our friends. Um, and we also know the, the reality of sin, sickness, suffering, and death. Well, uh, Jesus comes to address all this, to reverse this. And again, we get a small portrait of it in the healing of the leper. I am incapable of operating this thing correctly. In verse 42, uh, immediately after Jesus says, I will be clean, the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And then he restored him to his community. Uh, and now, okay, one quick tangent. Uh, some people would say, okay, this, and this, some people maybe in the ancient world would have said this, and this leper's uh, sphere would have said, you have this terrible disease because you sinned. And I would say that's almost assuredly wrong. Uh, but I would say, well, there's sin and sickness and suffering and death because we live in a broken world full of sin. That the heart of everything is sin, a decision to live apart from God. Uh, but we can't always draw a one-to-one correlation between things. But Jesus has come to address all those things. And he's come to make this man right, wholesome. So he restores his body. Uh, in the process of this, he's also probably restoring his spirit because he's restoring him to community, the ability to go to the temple, the ability to worship, as they did in the first century. He's restoring him to relationships. He is making this man whole. And uh, that is what Jesus is also doing on a grand picture. Back in verse 34, many who were, many were, he healed many who were sick with various diseases. He cast out demons. And uh, in verse 38, he said, let's go to the other towns. I may preach there also. That's why I came. Uh, The the scope of Jesus' work in kingdom is deep and broad. He wants to address the depth of human ill. Not just your sin. That's some of our evangelical failings. Jesus just came to forgive me and then get me into heaven. doesn't give a rip about the rest of the world. And then um, that's the depth. Jesus wants to address not only your sin, but sickness, suffering, and death. Jesus is coming to restore everything. Uh, It's everything or nothing. But it's not just the world and not your sin, and we'll talk about this next week. Uh, We also live in an age where some folks, some Christians think, ah, Jesus died for our sins, who knows? But he was certainly all about social justice and righteousness and peace and mercy, and he was. But he was also about addressing sin. So Jesus is coming to address the depth of human misery and to reverse it, to, to, to heal it, to bring healing all through the shot nature of mankind in this world. Uh, but he's also come to bring it, not just in depth, but in width. Uh, we see Jesus is on a mission. He could have been famous in this tiny little small town. But he could have been famous. And uh, instead he says, I've got other places to go. And he's like that his whole time while he's on, on, on this planet, going from place to place to share the message of, of the kingdom. A, uh, an old theologian uh, wrote about Jesus and his mission. There's not one square inch of the entire creation about which Jesus Christ does not cry out, this is mine, this belongs to me. And uh, this is a big picture view of, uh, of what God's all about. Uh, my understanding of scripture is God created the world, 
He doesn't want to just save a few of us from it and let everything else go. He wants to restore and redeem. He's set. He's bringing a kingdom in order to address the depth and the breadth of human misery. Um, So, that's Jesus. Rare authority, relational concern, and uh, he's come to restore and reverse the effects of sin and brokenness in this world. There's uh, one last song, and uh, we're actually going to sing this song in a minute. This is not a Josh Ritter song. Uh, You know this song? You sang it um, just a month ago. It's Joy to the World. And it may be a little weird for you to sing this in January, but it shouldn't be. Especially because of the third verse. But I'm just going to read the first and third. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Heaven and nature sing. Heaven and heaven and nature sing. And then the third verse. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. Far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. And this is exactly what I'm talking about. Jesus came to address the depth and breadth of human misery. Not just to help you escape your personal little misery, although that's good. But Jesus' kingdom and mission is much bigger than that. And he's inviting you into it. Uh, sometimes we're just underimpressed with Jesus because we misunderstand what he's all about. Jesus didn't come just to rescue a few people. He came to set the world to rights. And he invites you into it. Uh, a few questions for you as we, as we close the night. Is your Jesus this big? And I recognize some of you here, uh, you may laugh at that question. Uh, no, I'm not even sure he really existed. I'm not sure this isn't a literary myth. It's okay. I understand. We Just follow along with me. We'll work on this. But uh, is your understanding of Jesus, as he's presented in Scripture, this big? Or is your Jesus just some person? God, yes, but just some person whose job is to come and make you less miserable on a daily basis. Is that the scope and breadth and depth of Jesus' work? To make you happier. Now, I'm glad he actually is doing that. We'll talk about that next week. Jesus comes to free you uh, from your guilt and shame and to restore you. But that's not all. And part of the reason you're bored to death with Jesus is you've never caught a vision for what Jesus is all about, which is bringing healing and restoration to everything. And he invites you into that. And that's liberating. And that's wonderful. So is your Jesus this big? And is your Jesus this good? Is he this good? Rare in authority, relating closely, touching intimately, compassionately, seeking to restore everything. He knows exactly how messed up you are. And this world. And he marches into the middle of it and works away to restore it. Is your Jesus this good? All right, let's pray together.